Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. And if this is your first time, we certainly hope it's not your last time, and we want to say a special welcome to you. Uh, and if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you and say thanks for spending some time with us today. We want to share that yesterday was a crazy fun day here in the midst of the wintertime. We uh, have had a, a number of gifts that have been given uh, in terms of donations for our Pots and Pans ministry that's uh, in partnership with Love in the Name of Christ. And so we spent the morning sort of pulling out the stuff that has uh, sort of stacked up uh, over the holidays and laid it all out and organized it and got it ready so that we could give it to our neighbors that are in need. And just want to say thank you for your faithfulness in supporting the mission of Linden Road because this is just one of a number of opportunities we have to leverage the kingdom to help those in our community that are in need and are grateful that we can participate in, in such an incredible way. But again, thanks uh, for your faithfulness. Another item we want to share with you is coming up in the month of March. We again will be participating in what's called the March of Prayer here in uh, Mansfield and Richland County. We will be hosting in the last week, March 29th, an evening here of worship in the building. But grateful just to, over these last four years how amazing it's been that God has uh, brought the, the faith community together here in Mansfield and we'll invite you to follow along. If you want to know the other venues that are available through the course of March, you can check out, there's a link here in the worship notes to God's Field Mansfield on Facebook where all the events are played out, but we're looking forward to being part of that incredible time of just showing solidarity and uh, togetherness, if you will, with the kingdom here in Mansfield. We're in the fourth week of our series here, The Return of the King. And again, just to set it up, one of the reasons we're doing this series is just to offer some perspective in this season of uncertainty, that the truth is that God's word is very clear about his plan and purpose. And even in the midst of not knowing so many things in terms of global politics and local politics and everything in between, we can trust that God's heart is for his people and the promises he's made in scripture. And so we don't live in a time of chaos. We live in a time of uh, confidence that God is leading in a particular kind of way, and we want to be part of that. And so we've leaned into this, uh, what will be a six-week study of the book of Revelation uh, in the context of understanding what Jesus' second return will look like. I don't know how you've traveled, but over the years as we've traveled, it, it's been fun to go to a place, whether it's uh, Walt Disney World or on a cruise ship or even a spiritual renewal weekend like the Walk to Emmaus, where everything's mapped out. There's an itinerary that's developed and is followed, and we're confident that the people that are hosting us can get us from where we are to where we need to be with all the details covered in between. Because having the itinerary, or at least having those details covered, gives us confidence and, and even gives us a, a more meaningful experience once we get to where we're supposed to be. As we've learned these last couple of weeks, the Bible says that one day soon, and we're not sure what that word soon means, that we're going to go through what is called a seven-year period called the tribulation. Or, as we looked last week, it's simply a time of distress. And it's all going to take place just before the return of Christ. In some ways, it's going to be a terrible time as God judges the people of the world for their lack of faithfulness in Him. And in some ways, it will be a terrible time even for believers as persecutions and martyrdoms will follow. It will also in some ways be an incredible time as those that are far from Jesus Christ turn to him and have belief in him. 
and even as believers are sealed from God's wrath in the midst of all the storm and the chaos. That's the promise. And so just like the trips we may take, a family vacation or to Disney World or others where uh, there's an itinerary that's mapped out for us, we know that God has given us an itinerary and he's mapped out in some specific ways the itinerary for the last seven years of what's called the tribulation. We're gonna look over that timeline together and I wanna help you anticipate and to prepare. In fact, I would suggest that God has put this itinerary in the scriptures so that we could do just that. As we lean into this fourth week of uh, the return of the king, I wanna walk you through the timeline of the seven years of tribulation. And we're gonna cover 19 of the most fascinating chapters of the Bible, which are Revelation chapter one through 19. So there's gonna be a lot of content today, and again, if you missed the first couple of weeks, I'd invite you to check out the sermon archives and you can watch it again or listen to it again. And hopefully it'll be encouraging to you. So strap yourself in. We're going to go for a ride and I'm going to give you a lot of information. Uh, and I hope that as we wrap up today that you'll know more about God's itinerary for the end times and that actually you may know more than a lot of pastors do when they graduate from seminary. We're going to love our God through our minds today, if you will. And so if you're ready to do some learning, pray this with me. Lord Jesus, speak to me. Amen. So take a look. And I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, open up to Revelation chapter 1. That There's also here in the worship notes. But I think you may want to put some notes in the margin of your Bible and would encourage you to do that. You might find it more meaningful if you can look at the scriptures yourself. According to many who are experts in Bible prophecy, the last major prophecy to be fulfilled before the beginning of the tribulation is what's called Ezekiel's War. It's a war that's described in the Old Testament prophet's book, Ezekiel, and it's something that takes place between Israel and the nations of Russia, Iran, and Turkey, along with a few other allies. Now, right now, those three nations, Russia and Iran and Turkey, they all are having some craziness going on in the world. And the truth is that there's a lot of instability, and it's been that way uh, off and on for millennia. We'll see here how these nations in that region of the world have an impact on even the life of, of the nation of Israel. The first big idea that we're going to look at, and we're going to look at a number of big ideas just to get our minds around this idea of the tribulation, is that Ezekiel's war is likely the last major prophecy that needs to be fulfilled before the tribulation begins. And again, that's in Ezekiel chapter 38 through 39. And when that war breaks out, you can pack your bags for camp because the tribulation timeline is about to begin. Here's another key understanding. The first major event of the tribulation will be a treaty with a world ruler who will later be identified as the Antichrist. And we find that in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, where he says, He will make a firm covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering. Remind you that last week we talked about how this idea of week is actually the idea of the number seven. So a week's worth of years is seven years. And so what Daniel is saying is that the Antichrist will make a seven-year covenant that he will break halfway through at the three and a half year point. Now it's possible that we won't recognize who the Antichrist is until three and a half years in after this treaty is signed because he will be smart and persuasive. He will appear benevolent and we're going to talk a little bit more about him next week. Be reminded too as I was growing up in the 70s 
when we thought the late great planet Earth was what is really going to happen soon, there were many who thought at that time in the 70s that Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. But we have since learned as Henry has served uh, the world well as a peacekeeper and as Secretary of State to a number of presidents and leading in a way that uh, has brought peace and stability in many areas of the world. And so we again lean into trying to understand when all this is going to take place. Jesus said in Matthew 24, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. That's Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. You won't see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, which is the temple, until the middle of the week, which is three and a half years in. And so here's the third point. The tribulation is a seven-year period that ends with the return of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to be clear that God wants us to know about this time period, so he wrote us a whole book about it, and it's called the book of Revelation. And just again, to reiterate what I said last week, there's certain core concepts and truths about Scripture that we, we hang on to, right, with both hands, that we don't give up on. The personal work of Jesus, the, the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture, the work of Christ on the cross on our behalf. All those things are, are core to who we are as Christ followers. But when we lean into this book, the book of Revelation, there's a lot of things where we just have to have our hands open and just again to begin to try to understand because there's not consensus. There's actually a number of views. So together, I just want to give you a basic understanding of how to think about these end times. Now again, the book of Revelation, it's the last book in the, in the New Testament, and it's in Revelation chapter 1 where the Apostle John, who sat next to Jesus at the Last Supper, where he also witnessed uh, the empty tomb, he spent time with Jesus after the resurrection. It's in Revelation 1, John sees Jesus in the throne room of heaven as the Alpha and the Omega. And John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Verse 17 of chapter 1. Jesus is now so glorious that John fainted. And this is the same Jesus who is revealed in the book of Revelation. Revelation describes the tribulation, but its major purpose is to reveal Jesus to us. According to the first verse of Revelation in chapter 1, the book's full title is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And we learn that the purpose of this book is to show his servants what must soon take place. This is the itinerary, if you will, for the end times. And then as we move into chapters 2 and 3, we find uh, letters that are written to the seven churches that existed in John's day. And then in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, we get a picture of the throne room of God where the multitudes of heaven are worshiping this Jesus Christ. And in Revelation chapter 5, God the Father holds up this scroll with seven seals on it, and seven is the number of perfection. So this is a really important scroll. An angel asks the question, who is worthy to open the scroll? No one is. No one is able because no one is worthy of such an important responsibility. According to the scriptures here, one of the worshipers points to Jesus Christ and says, the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, he is worthy. And Jesus, according to Revelation, comes forward and with perfect power and perfect insight and perfect knowledge, he opens it. The book of Revelation is going to tell us some pretty hairy things. But before the hairy things happen, God reveals the power and the majesty of his son, Jesus Christ. 
because no one needs to worry when the Lion of Judah is near. The story of the tribulation period begins in chapter 6 of Revelation, where the Lamb of God peels open the scroll and breaks each of the seven seals, and he does that one at a time, and each seal releases some sort of devastation on the earth. None of them are directed at the people of God. Romans 5 verse 9 promises us that. He says, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. So here's the fourth big idea. During the tribulation, God is going to release judgment through a series of seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. Now the chronology of Revelation is hard to chart because the seals and the trumpets and the bowls overlap and sometimes describe the same plagues. But we know this much, that God's judgment unfolds in a series of sevens because God's judgment is perfect. Again, here's this idea right now. During the tribulation, God releases judgment through a series of seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. Now, here we go. Fifth point I want you to see is that Revelation introduces seven characters who play a part in this drama. The first of those characters is the dragon or Satan. You see, this, the dragon is Satan, and the dragon makes war in heaven for three and a half years until he is defeated by an angel army and thrown to earth. The second character here is the woman, and that represents the church. Uh, Revelations chapter 12, 13 through 17. Here, here's what it says. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent's presence to her place in the wilderness where she was nourished for a time, times, and half a time. This much we believe is that a time is a year, and times is two years, and a half a time is a half a year. So at the three and a half year mark, the woman begins to experience persecution and is carried on eagle's wings of divine protection for the rest of the tribulation. The third character we see here is the beast from the sea, and that's the Antichrist. The beast has 10 crowns. He's a ruler of many nations. He says that the beast was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. Now, in Daniel chapter 7, in the Old Testament, the leopard represented the Greek empire. The bear represented Persia, which is modern-day Iran, and the lion represented Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. And it's therefore likely that the beast will be from the Middle East, and we'll learn more about that next week. And then the rest of Revelation chapter 13, verse 2 says, The dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and his great authority. And Jewish leaders, things that come from the sea are from the Gentile world. The beast, who is the Antichrist, will be a demon-possessed Gentile, and in a counterfeit imitation of Jesus, he'll almost die and almost rise from the dead. The Bible says it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Now, 42 months is three and a half years. So lots of things heat up at the three and a half year mark. And then the fourth character we meet is the beast from the earth. That's the false prophet. Things that come from the earth are Jewish. And during the final three and a half years, this beast, who is also called the false prophet, will be Jewish. Mostly like the Muslim Jesus prophesied in their scriptures, who will come and deceive many, convincing them to follow the false messiah, the Antichrist. This false prophet will control most of the world's economic system through his mark. Again, scripture says it makes everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name or the number of its name. 
And, and then we take the dragon and the two beasts, and they form what is really an unholy trinity. But God holds true to his promise to a core group of worshipers. And so in Revelation chapter 7 and in 14, they are known as the 144,000. John, the writer of Revelation, says this, I looked and there was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So if you want to get a tattoo, you might want to try using Jesus' name or the Father's name. It goes on to say that they sang a new song before the throne, but no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. I don't know about you, but I think I want to be part of that group. And it's these that are the ones, John says, who will follow the Lamb wherever he goes. No lie was found in their mouths, and they are blameless. And then the sixth group of characters we meet is the angelic announcers. These three angels fly overhead to announce the eternal gospel. One says, fear God and give him glory. Another says, Babylon the great has fallen. And the third one says, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath. That's Revelation chapter 14, 9 and 10. So this trio brings the good news, and they bring the bad news, and they also bring some ugly news. And this leads to the seventh character, and that's the people of the harvest. John says, the one seated on clouds swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Well, Jesus in Matthew 14 spoke about the great harvest. It was to come at the end of the age, and here's what he said. The harvest at the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so will be the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather from his kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be sweeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Let anyone who has ears listen. That's Matthew chapter 13, verses 39 through 43. So let's be clear. The sole reason that Jesus left heaven... The sole reason that he laid aside his glory as the only begotten Son of God, the only reason that Jesus took on flesh, as we say, and lived in our neighborhoods as a lowly and limited human life, and the only reason he went to the cross was to take away this harvest at the end of the age, to rescue his. And so even today, the idea of sharing the gospel is such an important part of who we are as Christ followers that we hold out a hope to everyone in the world that doesn't know Jesus in their brokenness so that they can turn towards him and accept his love and forgiveness to take and apply his work from the cross to their own circumstance. And the idea is so that we can spend eternity with him rather than separated from him. And while the harvest of the weeds is being burned, the harvest of the righteous will bring rejoicing over all of heaven because he says the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. God will rescue his own and bring them to be in heaven with him. Okay, so let's do a little review here. The book of Revelation starts with seven messages to seven churches, and then it moves to seven sealed judgments, and then there's seven trumpet judgments, and then there's seven characters that we meet who will all play a part, and then there's seven bowls of judgment. The book of Revelation is written almost like a play, it has these overlapping scenes. A seal of judgment is taking place on stage right. At the same time, a trumpet judgment is taking place on stage left. And while a bowl of judgment is getting ready to take place at the center stage. 
And at the very end, they all come together. The great battle of Armageddon takes place in chapter 16. Seven messages of judgment take place in chapters 17 and 18. And the return of the king takes place in chapter 19. So here's one more big idea, number six. The battle of Armageddon is both the sixth trumpet and the sixth bowl of judgment. We know that Armageddon is the final battle that takes place at the end of time. And here's the description from chapter 16. Sixth poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried to prepare the way for the kings from the east. They assembled the kings at the place called, in Hebrew, Armageddon. That's Revelation chapter 16, verse 16. Once the troops are all assembled in the central valley of Israel, the seventh judgment begins, and then the king returns. The seal and the trumpet and the bull judgments aren't sequential. They overlap and come together all at the end. The bulls catch up with the trumpets in the sixth judgment, and both of them catch up with the seals in the seventh judgment. And here we are at the final and seventh idea, that the seventh seal, the seventh trumpet, and the seventh bull all end with thunder and lightning and earthquake and a trumpet and the return of Jesus Christ. That's in Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, 11, verse 15, and chapter 16, verse 17. So take a look at this. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand in the presence of God. Seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel with a golden incense burner came and stood at the altar. He was given a larger amount of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. The angel took the incense burner, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it to the earth. There were peals of thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. That's Revelation chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. That's the final seal and judgment. Take a look at the seventh trumpet judgment. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. That's Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Do you recognize those words? Those are the words that Handel uses in his Messiah, in the Hallelujah Chorus. John goes on to say, Then the temple of God in heaven was opened, and the Ark of the Covenant appealed in his temple. There was flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder, and earthquake, and severe hail. Uh, Revelation chapter 11, verse 19. Do you see the common elements here? I mean, let's look at the final bowl judgment. Then the seventh poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. There were flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake occurred like no other since people have been on the earth. So great was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Revelation chapter 16, verses 17 through 19. Instead of turning to God, they turned and uh, they shook their fists at him. All three threads of God's judgment culminate together in this thunder and lightning and earthquake and a trumpet. The seventh judgments in each turn are the exact same judgment. It's just they're told from different angles of the story. All three threads of judgment result in the return of the Messiah. And it is incredible. So the timeline of the tribulation ends this way. John goes on to say, Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider was faithful and true, and he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. 
The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. And he goes on to say, Then I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and against his army. But the beast was taken prisoner, and along with it the false prophet, who had performed signs in its presence. He deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image and these signs. Both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds ate their fill of their flesh. Revelation chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. And then at the close of the tribulation, Jesus Christ returns as king. And that's the story. And that's his story. And he's sticking to it. Let's conclude here. And let's look at some application of all this. As we've been looking at these events together, you know, I've been asking myself the question, what do I need to get through this? And so I think that here's three things that we can do, that you can do, that we can do together. First of all, we need to walk closely with Jesus. We have his promise that he will never leave or forsake us. He's promised that if we seek first the kingdom of God, that everything that we need, that you need, that I need, will be added to us. The second thing we need to do is to encourage others. And that's why I'm doing this series so that I can encourage you to be prepared and to be realizing the role that you get to play in this amazing time. And then the third and final thing is that we need to pray and share the way of salvation with everyone we can. Uh, and so the, those are the three things in order to get through all of this is that we need to walk closely with Jesus. We need to encourage others about walking with Jesus. And then we need to pray and share the gospel with those that uh, don't know him. As we think about this understanding of the tribulation time, as we go through the tribulation story, John is reminding us that in spite of all that's going on, we have a Savior that we can rely on. So again, in chapter 1, Jesus, we know, is the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is and was and is to come. In chapter 5, he is the Almighty, the only one worthy, the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, and the lamb who was slain. In chapter six, he is the one who issues us white robes. In chapter seven, he's the sealer of his people. In chapter 11, he is the Messiah. In chapter 12, he's the defender of the brethren. In chapter 13, he is the one who writes our names in the book of life. In chapter 14, he's the one whose name we write on our foreheads. He's the son of man, seated on the clouds of glory. He is the judge of all the earth. In chapter 15, he's the one we sing to. He's the Lord God Almighty. He's the King of nations and the one all nations will come and worship. In chapter 16, he's the one who is coming like a thief with lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. In chapter 19, he is the lamb whose marriage feast is about to begin. He is the rider on the white horse. He is faithful and true. He is the judge who makes war with justice. He is the leader of the armies of God. And he's the one on whom is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So here's where we land today. The days of the tribulation, as we've seen, will be days of what is called great distress. It'll be unequaled in all the world until now. But over us all, 
and in all of us who have received Jesus as Lord is this Jesus who is so much more, and yes, so much more. So the question we all have to wrestle with is will you walk with him? Will you trust him? Will you trust him even into the tribulation? And then most importantly, will you be found faithful when he comes? So would you pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, find us faithful. Find us faithful. Find me faithful. Amen.